0: About six years ago, Kara and I were—Stem, stand- my wife, Kara and I were standing in Rome, and we were there visiting. Um, actually getting ready to go north a few hours to the village where my grandfather immigrated from on my mom's side. But we're in Rome, we're in Vatican City, we're just outside the Vatican Palace and at this point we had tickets to get in to see uh, actually the Pope preach and and, and maybe go into uh, the Vatican Palace and we're just a few yards away from one of the most famous paintings in all the world. and we didn't see it. Karen and I were sitting there, and there was 10,000 people lined up to go through security. (laughs) And we're like going, you know what? I was like, why don't we just go to the Coliseum, and I can quote Gladiator movie the whole time and just have him on there. But I want to show you what we missed. One of the most famous paintings of all. Take a look at this. This is Michelangelo's The Creation of Adam. Probably one of the most famous paintings in the world, maybe in the top ten. This is painted on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. He finished this painting in 1512. In 1512. And when you look at this, let me grab, I'm going to do this this side here. When you look at this, I got a laser pointer. Those online, forgive me, you won't be able to see a laser pointer, but I want you to pay attention to a couple of things that are really cool about this painting. Obviously on the left we see Adam. We see Adam newly created, kind of in the formless earth over here, and you notice uh, Adam's reaching out, and on the right we have God. We have Michelangelo's depiction of God reaching out to Adam and close connecting fingers here. What's interesting is God's right hand extends to Adam, but God's left arm is draped okay. around a woman. I believe the be Eve, first woman created, and a child. What we wanna say about here is this part here, where the two hands are almost touching. You notice that God's strength and everything Is reaching out with his right arm But look at Adam He's looking and there's a longing in his face The wrist is a little bit flaccid Because what's happening in his painting Is Adam is not complete When God touches that finger There's an explosiveness Because he puts his image in him And we're waiting for that moment to happen and what is so neat about this painting, go out and look at it this week. There's so much more I could tell you about it, so much imagery. But what we see in God is we see God's arms outstretched. And we see him bestowing the life, the full life into Adam with his right hand. And we see him anticipating with his left the need for Adam and a perfect, complimentary wife. And we see him with his hand on what Adam's gonna need and that is his salvation and restoration in Christ. God is anticipating all that in this shot. And what's amazing about this painting is um, it is the pinnacle of creation. It's a painting of the story of all creation and the pinnacle of creation is in humanity and the creation story in the book of Genesis is where we're going to start in this new series as we understand God's design The series is called by design and then we're going to start every week for the next four weeks in Genesis as we look at God's design for humanity his design for marriage his design for sexuality and his design for community as they all flow together and it's going to be an amazing trip as we go there so once you open God's word with me, let's all go together, whether on your digital device or in your or in your paper copy, let's go to the very first chapter, of the very first page. I'll make it really easy. Just barely open your Bibles, chapter 1, verse 1 of Genesis. And while you're turning there, I want to welcome everybody. We're glad you're here. We see a new few faces. Uh, for those new to us, my name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor, and we want to welcome all of you who are online with us too. We're glad you're here. Uh, for our guests, this worship guide, you came in, we have an outline of what we talk about in this new series we're starting today, and this outline is right on the back And uh, so, please feel free to follow along with us. For those of you who are online, this is all pinned out there on Facebook or on our page, on our webpage also. Let me see. Let me do one commercial interruption here. I think it's important. Baptism classes are next week, next Sunday. If you have been considering baptism and this has been on your mind, come hang out with us next week and let's talk with you about that because on the 1st Brenna was announcing our worship leader was announcing that on the 1st we just have that one service we're going to be it's it's this last message in a series about community we're going to be baptizing that day all together as one in our favorite it's kind of a big team concept and so the baptism classes are on the 17th and we'll be baptizing here on October 1st and if you have been wrestling with this let's talk about it if you don't know, hey, should I, have I, what denomination I come from, whatever, come hang out with us. We'd love to talk with you about that. But we know it's probably one of the greatest celebrations of all in our church, amen? And we would love you to be part of it if you haven't really made that decision before. All right. So let's jump into this new series. Week one, here we are talking about by design. We're talking about humanity, humanity by design. So let's go to Genesis 1:1, the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's so much in there. There's so much in there. It seems maybe bland, but there's so much in there. In the beginning, heaven and earth didn't exist, but God did. And in the beginning, God, who's always been there, He created everything and He created it out of nothing. And I think that should just blow us away that God created everything and it started with absolutely nothing. Nothing. We have a hard time thinking that as humans because we create something out of something, but God created everything, began with nothing. And so as we go through, through chapter 1 of Genesis, you'll see three kind of realms. He creates the sun, the moon, and the stars, and then he, he has day and night. That's the first realm. And then he creates the, the, the birds and the fish and the sea and the land, and you see the second realm of God's creation. And then the third realm, you see him create the animals that are also uh, in the air and on the ground. And, and, so, and so we see three realms of creation there, and then God moves into the fourth realm. The fourth realm where he doesn't create something, he creates something someone. And let's jump into Genesis 1.26. We'll jump ahead of that part of the creation. Then God said let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground and so God created human beings in his own image in the image of God he created them male and female he created them and then God looked over in verse 31 over all that he had made and he saw that it it wasn't good it was very good it was very good so as we see through the creation story, the pinnacle of God's creation is humanity. That is, that is the drum roll, please, bam. He didn't think of humanity later when he created everything. He was creating everything for humanity, and he creates humanity last on that sixth day. It is his pinnacle of creation. And he created, I love that first, that first verse in 26. He created humanity to be like us. Father, Son, Spirit, they always were in community, always together, God created everything, if you go to John chapter 1, He created everything through Christ, right? And even if you see early in Genesis, the Spirit hovered over land, in creation Trinity was always there, and He says, let's create humans to be like us, Father, Son, and Spirit, and as He finishes His creation of humanity, it's the end of the sixth day, and God looks all around And behold, your first sermon note. All creation's very good. Not good. It's very good. God looked around, all that He had created for the pinnacle of creation, humanity, and it was amazing. It says, God blessed them. Everything was made for humanity. And remember this important truth as we go forward through the next four weeks. This important truth, all creation is very good. It wasn't, not was very good. It is very good. Inherently, all creation is very good. Hold on to that for four weeks. We'll need it. So Genesis 1, if you look at the structure Genesis 1 and 2, they're both a creation story Genesis 1 is a 10,000 foot flyover of everything being created It's kind of the big look But then Genesis 2, we jump into it and it's like, hold it, he's repeating No, 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 he is going through the story again but this time at the ground level This time we're looking at the detail of humanity And as we go into that story in Genesis 2 we begin to see that God recognizes that Adam should not be alone And so he puts Adam to sleep he takes a rib out of him in his sleep and he creates woman. And, and, and the word that the Genesis uses in, in, in the Bible is it says God made a helper for him. The helper, the literal translation of that word helper is like opposite him it's a literal translation, like, like him, God took part of Adam and created, so they are in likeness, but opposite she complements him like, opposite, him, and the word helper is interesting it's not a subservient word, like Adam needed this, so he created a wom- woman, you know, to stay at home and work, you know, do all this stuff and just serve him it's not a subservient term The word helper is the same one that identifies God as our helper Israel. It's the same word. Created equally in worth, purposely different in design. And then Adam replies. Adam replies in the Bible. He replies in Hebrew, and the word is hubba hubba. yours might, your translation might say this, more than the English version at last, at last, thank you, probably in today's word we'd say OMG, literally, oh my God, what have you done for me, this is amazing what you have done you didn't know Hubba Hubba was Hebrew, did you? So we see in chapters 1 and 2 humanity is the pinnacle of God's design and so I want to summarize this in your second sermon. Also. So what do we see in all this? What do we see in all this to understand? What is humanity by design? Well first, humanity is wonderfully created. Right out of Psalm 139. I am wonderfully and fearfully created but it is first wonderfully created in the image of God. He says it four times. Let's create him in our image like our image, like our image, like our image. So important here. We're created in the image of God. What does the image of God mean? It means that we are pictures of God. When people see us, we reflect Him. And there's probably two big ways that we do that. First, He designed us to have relational capacity. And so when we, He designed us to be in relation with Him and relation with others. We're designed that way. And when we, ref, when we are in good harmony in relationship with God and with others, we reflect Him. And the opposite is true, Right? when I'm running from God, or I'm angry with my neighbor, I don't reflect him, he also, so let's go, this is what's, what's so important here, let me, let me give you Genesis 2, 7, because this is really important, I think, to see what's happening in here, it says, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person, In our relational capacity, God is, we're the only creation He breathed into. He gives us part of Himself. We are designed to be relationship and we carry His image. All that happened when He's breathing into Adam. He didn't breathe into the animals. This is a pinnacle of creation designed to be in relationship with Him and with others. We are biological and in that breath, we are spiritual. Both are very important. and then we also reflect the moral capacity our image reflects the moral capacity God is perfect in his moral capacity and he's given us the ability to know right and wrong so when we're in the obedience and following God in great relationship with him we reflect him and when we're disobedient we don't Okay, that's number one. That's right. So humanity is wonderfully created in the image of God. Second, humanity is wonderfully created to steward themselves and the earth. So we're created, God's created all this. The first is to steward what He gives us, our bodies. We are to be stewards of the design that He's given us we are to take care of this God, God gives us this tremendous freedom in all of creation to move about and do all this stuff but he does establish boundaries to make sure we don't go outside of that design and he's the first thing that we are to do is to take care of ourselves and to stay within those boundaries and, but also to care for the earth God entrusts us this planet. Do you hear the sounds of the little ones in here? First service, there's a lot of them. And that is who we're handing this world off to. We are to steward this, everything that God's given us. He trusts us to steward this planet to make sure every generation benefits from it. So not only are we wonderfully created in the image of God and to steward ourselves and earth, third, humanity is wonderfully created as two sexes. The word sex I want to use here, it's a little more old school word. There's two designs of sex. It's a physical act and it's a description of our biological being. He designed them male and female. Gender is kind of a newer term. The sex is, is the one I want to focus on. He's created, the word is binary, is composed of two things. The humanity is composed of male and female. And, and what's amazing is that he designs them like but different. They perfectly complement each other. Man and woman physically are designed to come together. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. Might be a little PG-13 if you want to make sure your kids are asking a lot of questions over lunch that day but we go into marriage next and in sexuality next as this flows all together. Male and female are perfectly complementary to each other physically, emotionally, the gifts and talents and the ability to procreate. That can only happen with them. And we'll talk more about that. I'm leaving that alone because we're going to keep going through this for four weeks, over and over a little bit. And so what's really important here is that in Genesis 1 and 2 We see the foundational truth for our faith Genesis 1 and 2 is all of God's creation Actually the Bible could stop at the first two chapters And defines all that God's done Why he's designed it, what its purpose is And how it's to be in relationship with him In two chapters, God summarizes that as Moses penned it Genesis is the building block book of the Bible If we don't believe in these foundational truths If we don't trust in God's design in the first two chapters And what the purpose is We will struggle to find truth anywhere else in the Bible We will begin to question everything if we question this And that's why I believe it's amazing that we could have stopped the Bible at chapter one and two, but chapter three happens. And it's the fall. And it's the first time that male and female, Adam and Eve, go outside the boundary. And there's sin. How bad is this first sin in chapter three? It's so bad that man and woman hide from God. Genesis 3, verse 8, this is after the first sin, after they decided to step outside the boundaries, they eat from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. So much here. You're hiding. Sin enters into the world, and that came from a temptation. I have an enemy that enters the scene and the enemy is known as the accuser Satan's name means accuser and he says hey he gets them to take from that tree and they take from that tree they both do and then when they're done he does what he does best I can't believe what you just did and shame enters they never had shame over their nakedness now they do and they hide they hide from God The enemy is a master Of creating shame But he's got a better tool Than that that comes first Here's your third note The fall ushered in confusion The fall and the first sin Ushered in this utter issue Of confusion That came before shame The enemy is known as a deceiver Before he's known as the accuser His favorite four words Are the favorite four That he used to talk to Eve first Did God really say It's his favorite phrase He doesn't tell us Go do something He says Does God really say And so he asked Eve that Did God really say You couldn't do that And he confused her in, in Revelation 12, it says, the ancient old serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, he's after everyone. And deception, he just likes us to believe there's another truth. He loves us to believe there's another truth, which is really a false truth. And then we chase that false truth, and the next thing we know, we're hiding from God. And we become so confused. Can you imagine how Adam and Eve are hiding in the garden where they walked with God, and now they're confused about everything that's going on? And as I mentioned, Genesis one and two are the foundational truth of everything in our faith. And so, an ancient enemy is going to go after that foundational truth, and he's going to ask this question Did God really say that you're only male and female? And that's what our era is dealing with. Did God really say there's only male and female? Because I can give you a bunch more options. So, here's our next note today's mantra we are what we feel. So mantra is a word kind of mystical, Eastern, right? Like Brian, I can't believe you're using that word. Mantra means I'll repeat it enough until I believe it. And mantra is today's culture is we are what we feel. And where does this come from? Let's, let's be honest. Let's be, let's be empathetic here. You know I love that word. Where did this come from? And, and we sit here and we point to the current generation saying look at what they're doing. We set them up. This is every generation in this room's problem. We set this all up. We started liking in the Gen X. I started liking being what I feel. But here's the truth. The truth of how we got here is that we stopped trusting everything else for good reason. We stopped trusting the government. We stopped trusting the family unit. Today's family unit has exploded in a bad way. We quit trusting the church we look at all the tragedies within the church, and all of a sudden there's nothing left to trust. Government, family, church, we don't trust anything anymore because all we've seen is brokenness. And so when I don't trust anything else, who do I trust? I trust me. And I'm going to trust what I learned from my experience and today's mantra is this. We are what we feel because I lost trust in everything else. This road has been long and every generation in this room has contributed to where we are today. And so today's truth is truth is what I feel. And so we deal with this phrase called gender dysphoria Gender dysphoria occurs when there is a conflict between the sex you were assigned at birth and a gender for which you identify. Do you know what the word dysphoria means? Confusion. I'm confused with the sex I was assigned at birth and the gender that I want to be. I'm trying to find, is there something different? Different. A transgender person is one who believes in a different gender than the sex they were assigned at birth. The word trans means to move. Move from gender to gender. Now, it's so important here that while I would say I know the Bible fairly well, this area is tough for me. I am not an, expect, I, I'm not an expert on gender dysphoria, I'm not an expert on defining what transgender is. As a matter of fact, I think it's very difficult because it changes definitions and expands almost every week. It's hard to keep up with. But I will tell you a couple things, and I don't want us to stay here, but I want to share some things with you that that help us look at transgender as an issue. One is uh, is this. In 2023, uh, you can research this. There are now 107 gender identities. And they're in alphabetical order, so I'm just going to give you some of them. A binary, agender, ambigender, bigender, demi boy, gender fluid, intersex, and multigender. There's an alphabetical order of 107 identities that are different than male and female. John Hopkins, and I'm going to give you science. I'm not going to give you any Christian doctrine. Well, we're going to give you a lot of Christian doctrine, but I want to I share just what science is sharing. John Hopkins health system has been doing gender reassignment surgeries for two to three decades now. And they have been studying it also psychosocially during this whole time. Actually one point paused doing these, now they're doing them again, but they've been studying the psychosocial impact of these uh, reassignment surgeries. And you can go out and read any of these studies. They're out there. Just go search. John Hopkins search transgender. You'll find out. This is their psychosocial research. They're finding out. This has been published more than once that the subpopulation of transgender is the highest incidence of depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and suicide. Data indicates that 70, all the all the different mental health approaches this, the data indicates that 70 to 80 percent of transgender individuals have considered killing themselves, and 40 percent, 40 percent have attempted suicide. And the suicidal highest is amongst the transgender youth. Today it's an explosive topic because we're seeing all kinds of lingual wrangling for reassignment surgeries in children. And what's interesting is John Hopkins allows people publish as they study this that 70 to 80 percent of transgender feelings go away from our children when they mature. And when you read the summaries, especially John Hopkins research, they will say sex reassignment doesn't work. It's impossible to reassign someone's sex physically and attempting to do so does not provide the long-term wholeness and happiness that people were seeking, and the outcomes psychosocially are devastating amongst the majority. The transgender community will say, yes, our suicide ideation rates are high, very high, but it's because of the abuse and rejection. There's truth to that, but the studies have shown it's coming from many other angles, not just that one. John Hopkins continues on, they say, cosmetic surgery and cross-sex hormones can't change us into the opposite sex. They can affect appearance, but they can't transform it. They can't turn us from one sex to another. Christopher Yuan, he spoke here six, seven years ago. He has this quote, transgenderism is not exclusively a battle for what is male and female, but rather a battle for what is true and Now, I think this next point is so important. I didn't want to spend that much time in the data. But what does it tell us? The far majority of the people that go through transgender struggle and confusion are searching for a truth. They're searching for a truth. And they're finding it in the wrong places at the wrong time, and there's an ancient enemy, the master of deception, who's leading with those four words, did God really say? I can give you 107 others. And what happens is when they begin to go through that reassignment, the data is is clear. They're entering a void that hurts, and it's damaging, and they lose hope, and the suicide rate is out the way. And the one thing we didn't do, and I thank you for this, is we weren't sitting here cheering this or yelling, Amen. Your fifth sermon note Christians should be known by what we're for, not what we're against. We should be known by what we're for, not what we're against. What are we for? let me jump back here just a little bit so often those who who are non-believers or even believers who are struggling in a confusion of gender dysphoria they hear what Christians are against and rightfully so we can be very judgmental hypocritical and transgenderphobic, and we can be mean all we want to do is yell and fight and argue all we want to do is talk about what we're against But this whole sermon series, and I hope this doesn't disappoint you, we will talk about what we're for. And God's design is beautiful, and it has, I'll get to this point, it has eternal implications. This is not a short issue, it's a forever issue. And it's so beautiful in His design. And so here's the one thing, what are we for? We are for people. Unequivocally. The Christian church, the people that, we are for people. And so I want to give you a way, I I get, what's interesting is as time goes on and as we deal with this issue, as people struggle with with their sexuality, Um, We find out that this really is impacting Almost many of the families here within the church And so I get a lot of questions Brian how do we deal with this How do I deal with a wedding How do I deal with with all this I'm going to give you a summary This is what we're for So here's a list of how we can respond How to love those who are confused And this category works for anything Whether it's transgender Whether it's sexuality Whether it's marriage Whether it's alcoholism Addiction It doesn't really matter This list works for all so feel free to write this down how to love those who are confused first affirm them in the image of God everyone is created in the image of God and they are inherently very good it's in everybody's core it is sin and confusion that mars the image of God but everybody is created in the image of God and it is very good everybody is very good The church has a mission To bring truth and clarity And reconciliation and restoration God has chosen us As plan A As the agents of this world To help those who are confused And struggling and hurting We are for people Because they're created In the image of God And so are we Second Hear their story Listen to people For goodness sakes, folks, have empathy. Empathy means I'm going to walk over, put on their shoes, and hear what's going on in their life so I can understand at the core what's going on and how they're hurting and what's happening in their life. I think you'll be amazed when you hear somebody's story who's struggling with gender issues of what's gone on before. And I will tell you Of the number of people I've been in our church Who are transgender Who may, you may not be aware of and everything, I have met many of them And I have amazing conversations And we wrestle together We cry together As we go after What's going on I love hearing her story Because I can tell a lot From her story Third Remember who our enemy is Ephesians 6.12 reminds us that for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not fighting against people but we're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Remember who our enemy is. Never discriminate or hate people who struggle in confusion. Hate kills the mission of the church. I can't be more clear about that. Hate kills the mission of the church. I don't know if this is theologically appropriate, but if you want to hate somebody, hate the enemy. But don't hate people. Don't categorize them. Third, fourth, sorry, introduce them to a savior. Ask the person about spiritual questions. Almost everybody's spiritual. Ask them about what do they think of God? What do they think of the creation story? Ask them about their beliefs. Ask if they know Jesus. And if they don't, introduce them to the God who loves them who came to earth and died for them. Normally when I get into a conversation about what do we believe as a church or anything like that, when I'm dealing with sexuality issues of confusion or gender issues, they ask, hey, what do I believe about this? I say, I want to know what do you believe about this first? Who's God to you? What happens when you die? Who's Jesus to you? And if they don't know that question, I'll say, can I introduce you to somebody who loves you so much? They died for you. I'm not a big fan of introducing people to their sin first because nobody's doing that to me, thank God. last affirm them in the image of God hear their story remember who the enemy is introduce them to a Savior and love them as Christ loves us love builds bridges hate and anger don't hate and anger pour gas and fire and burn it and some people react to me and say well Brian sometimes those out of the LGBT community will actually burn those bridges and hate us and it's like well then rebuild it build the bridge again because if you hate all you're doing is throwing and burning a bridge quicker can you love them unconditionally and walk with them that's why our vision statement says be bold love loud engage deeply we really believe in this but see people if you take home anything today take home this one see people who are confused through our own season sorry see people who are confused through our own sin and our own confusion in life cuz we have confusion too don't we I have sin issues I'm working on I'm really confused about. And before I really point out theirs, I want to reflect on what mine are because we're all in a struggle and the enemy's doing a work on all of us at any time. He doesn't stop. All of this is a Christ-like response. And I would challenge you to find me one place in the Bible where Jesus doesn't act like this towards those who are hurting and broken. As a matter of fact, the only people he gets angry with are who? The religious right, who don't know how to love. And when you look at this list, can I be fair with us? This is a challenge. And you look at this list and say, Brian, I, 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 gr- I can agree with this, but how do I do this? I am so glad you asked that question. Today we launched 30-some life groups 18 of these all of them are good but 18 of these life groups are speaking on only three curriculum the engagement project who is my neighbor and how do I share with him about Christ that's one holy conversations how do I hear somebody's story share my story find out what they're longing for share Christ because he's the one that meets them there that's in holy conversations that's being taught in three classes right now the fourth one is unoffendable how do I, in a world that just yells at each other, how do I actually have a conversation, truly love, and do this? All three of those groups are teaching this. And if you say I'm not equipped, join us. We would love to have you. There's already a bunch of kicked off this morning. There's gonna be more this week. They're right here. Before you leave, sign up, join up. Let's wrestle with this together as a body and a community, and let's know how to do this because that's what the mission of the church is. Love to have you. Selfish plug, my class is Wednesday night. Glad to have you, but we have amazing teachers, and even the topics that aren't on this are all very good. Just plug in, and let's grow together. So important. Okay, I need to wrap up. (laughs) I want to go over one more point to ensure that we aren't short-sighted, and this is going to be repeated throughout the whole series. we never stop being man and woman. In eternity, for those who believe in Christ, in eternity, we're perfected in that image. All the sin and scarring and things I've done to the image of God in my own life will be perfected one day, and I'll be taken away. I want to share with you Colossians. Uh, I want to jump out. Sorry, Corinthians. I want to jump out of Genesis for just a moment. First Corinthians 15. This is a beautiful scripture. It says the scriptures tell us the first man Adam became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body; then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man and heavenly people are like the heavenly man, verse 49. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. So many times we wrestle with these issues We have a lot of focus on what goes on, and I would say the 78 years, that's the average lifespan, male and female roughly, 78 years on this earth, and a lot of times our focus is, let's deal with this, we're not talking about the billions of years in eternity with God. God's wonderful design of humanity is for eternity. Sin messed it up. You know, I said the whole Bible could be just those two chapters. But chapter three of Genesis to the rest is how God is fixing it. And the book of Revelation is how it finishes. And it's a perfect image of that He's designed us to be. And so our last note I want to leave you with: every 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 sermon in this series, we're going to talk about the end focus of what billions of years is going to be like. All these things move to an end focus. Our bodies point to Jesus. Our bodies point to Jesus. What does that mean? That's right here in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus has shown us the perfected, resurrected body that is completely perfect, physical and spiritual. He showed us that, so we know for those who believe, what happens when our body dies, that we will rise. And we will have that perfect physical and spiritual component. Not only do our bodies today reflect the image of God and that carries into eternity, but our bodies point to Jesus as our author and perfecter. and the whole world out there that's struggling because the deceiver deceives the whole world and he just loves messing with the foundation first because then everything gets off. Our bodies reflect the image of God and the truth. And I want to go on and talk for another half hour about this more but we're going to talk about it next week when man and woman come together in marriage then how does sexuality work into that in God's design and how does that actually move us to community which is really we're talking all towards the end this all works towards what eternity will be like but I'm going to stop there today when we hear God's word and we worship together amazingly like on Sunday like this it's so important that we respond would you bow your heads with me in a time of offering Heavenly Father thank you for your word thank you for the very first two chapters of the Bible that we have to get right it's the foundation of everything we stand upon and Father I pray against an enemy who every day tries to take us away from you and destroy our relationship with you and with others and he's so good and did God really say Father, these truths are hard because our cultural world would really push back on everything that we said today. And our goal is not to rise up and be against the world. Our goal is to rise up and be for people. Affirm them in the image of God. Love them. And in this gender issue, if that percentage is true of how many struggle and the confusion are hurting and even think and take in their lives, they're looking for hope. And a church has always been the message of clarity, truth, and hope. And so, Father, I ask our first offering today is we believe in these first two chapters and we live differently so the world can have an answer and heal and be restored. If our church does not respond, the world will suffer and hurt and we'll fail our mission. Father, I encourage our next offering might be anybody in this room that we get into one of these groups that teach us how To have this conversation, how to talk, how to love, how to care for people, and how to point to a Savior. And get our whole church here so we're all out there in a world making a difference tomorrow. And we all go out there being for people. And let's check our anger and hate at the door. Father, another offering today may just simply be somebody here that we go back to that topic of baptism that I've never started that journey with you and following you. I've never been obedient to that. And Father, lead that person to walk towards the waters of new life and new creation that we have now while we wait for the new creation and eternity. Father, everything we're sharing here is of great joy. And let us be that church that brings great joy to a world bless everybody here, our gifts, our offerings as we respond back to you and in Christ's name, amen.